Well, good morning again, church family. We are um, carrying on in a sermon series on 1 Corinthians that's really um, about a season we're in, and that is a season of consecration. Consecration is kind of a fancy, maybe older word, but it means to be set apart. So God calls us to himself. He calls us out of darkness. He calls us out of sin, calls us out of death, and he calls us into light. And he says, you're mine. You're my people. And you are set apart for my purposes in this world. So we've heard three really wonderful messages so far where God said, first of all, you're set apart to be holy, to be like me, and you're set apart for fellowship with me, which is just amazing. Set apart to be holy and to fellowship with the Lord. It's like being community with, being a worshiper of. Then we heard two weeks ago, you're set apart for unity. You're to be one. You're to be an example of new creation in this world. That when I work in your life, I don't just reconcile you with me. I reconcile you with each other. And so you're to be a living example to the world of the unity or of the new human family that comes about through faith in Jesus Christ. There's to be no divisions in the body. You're holy. You're mine. You're one. And then last week we heard, you're called to preach. You're called to proclaim. Pastor Jalisa said, this calling isn't just for the one standing up here, for those who are in leadership. The calling's for all of us that the name of Jesus is to be on our lips. The good news of the kingdom of God is ours to bring. And, and we were called to bring it with simplicity and with faith. Because it didn't depend on our wisdom, didn't depend on our eloquence, didn't depend on our abilities, but on what? Somebody tell me. What did it depend on? Oh, come on. Thank you. The power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't come to you with wisdom or eloquence, says Paul, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, which was a couple of different things. One, that when he preached, they responded. Something happened. The word was powerful. They heard a message about a savior that was resurrected who died for their sins and they came to faith. That's a demonstration of the spirit's power. But they also saw things. People got healed. People got delivered from evil. There was power at work. So Paul said, I didn't come to you with wisdom. I'm not, you know, he's, he's a pretty smart guy, smart as they come, but he didn't come with wisdom. He came with a simple message of Jesus. And with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So, so far we've been called or set apart for being the Lord's, being holy, fellowshipping, being one, and proclaiming the gospel. This morning, we're going to hear about called to certain roles, or God's got callings and roles for us. But we're, we're actually going to land there, because Paul's got a fair amount of, let's say, work he needs to do with us to get there via the work he needed to do with the Corinthian church. So let's turn and read 1 Corinthians 3 together. And I'll tell you right now, it might sound like he's a little sharp or a little angry, but if you just think about a parent that is very, very concerned for their children, this is Paul 
Okay? 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? And what's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, The builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you thinks you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become, quote, fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Word of God. Mm-hmm.
Uh, many of you will recognize that the middle chunk of that chapter is one that I preached on a number of months ago as a part of the Gospel Tool um, sermon series when we were talking about how believers will be judged and rewarded for our works. And so I'm not going to re-preach that section. I'm going to deal with what's around it on both sides. Okay. Where's Ray? There's Ray. Ray is our um, like resident historian in at Gold Avenue Church. And um, Ray would probably be the first one to tell you that in the annals of war history, there have been many, many battles that have been fought after wars were officially over. Right? You think about uh, the War of 1812 and there's a battle for New Orleans where President Jackson leads the Americans to fight against the British after the Treaty of Ghent had been had been already signed. And you think about how every time one of those battles happens after a war, it, it's, it's quite tragic because people die fighting for a cause that's already been resolved. So I was thinking about that this week and doing a little bit of reading, and I came across a story that I thought was particularly tragic. And this is, this is what it was. 1974, a Japanese hiker, a student, is hiking on the Philippine island of Lubang. And as he hikes across this island, he comes upon an old Japanese man. And as he engages that man, it turns out that this man, whose name is Hiro'o Noada, had been dropped on that island as a part of a World War II contingent and given the command, do not surrender under any circumstances. Hold this island and do not surrender. And after the war had ended, allies had begun taking over that island, he and a small group had fled inland and continued to both hide out and venture down toward the the rest of the folks around the edge of the island, and they'd engage in skirmishes, so people knew they were up there. Every once in a while they'd come out. And so because they do that, allies actually flew planes overward and dropped pamphlets over the center of this island and a few others saying, the war is over, you can come out and surrender, you'll be repatriated to your country, you will be safe. Well, he didn't believe it. And so 1974, this hiker finds him and finally convinces him the war is over, but he won't come out until an ambassador from Japan, high up in the army, actually comes and tells him the war is over. Now, in one sense, you think about this guy and you think, this is, this is kind of heroic. Like, he was given these orders and he holds firm. Nothing is moving him, right? But on the other sense, think about how tragic this is. Like, he goes there in his 20s, probably, maybe 30, early 30s. And so he spends his entire adult life fighting a battle that's already over. Doesn't have family, doesn't get married, doesn't have kids, doesn't live among his own people, is hiding out in the mountains, fighting a battle that's already been won. This idea of the tragedy of fighting a battle that's already been won is exactly what Paul is 
writing or arguing against or working with, as he writes to the Corinthians this morning, he says to them, you aren't living by the Spirit. You're worldly. You're infants in Christ. You're, you're acting like mere human beings. And why does he say that? He says, because you're aligning with and you're touting human leaders as though human leaders are the main things. Paul goes, hey, who are we? Look at us. We're just servants. Who am I? I planted some seeds. Apollos watered them, but we're not anything. You're missing the main thing. We're both pointing to Jesus. He's the one who makes it grow. And so, the question for us is, if Paul and Apollos and Cephas themselves are all actually in unity, if they're speaking the same thing, if they're doing the same thing, if they're working together, and yet you've got a bunch of people in the Corinthian church that either can't see that or for various reasons are picking and choosing their favorites and aligning with them, we've got to ask ourselves, why are they doing that? What is it in them that can't see beyond the human leader, that can't see who they're pointing to and what they're doing? You know, we don't have the answer for sure, but I want to tell you, I want to speculate a little bit and and tell you what I sense. I sense... They see the power of God at work through them. They see the love of God in them. They see the anointing of the Holy Spirit on their ministry. And they are attracted to that. You think about how deeply each of the churches loves Paul. You know, sometimes they weep when he leaves. Because they experience the depth of love that he has for them. It's really God's love. But you also think about the miracles that he did in their midst. Right? Powerful signs and wonders. Raised people from the dead. The scripture tells us that that people who walked by Peter's shadow got healed. There's a powerful anointing on each one of these leaders. Powerful anointing of love, but also of signs and wonders. And a lot of times it happens that people see the anointing and not what the anointing's pointing to. They see the power but not what the power is pointing to. And it's almost like they think, if I've got some connection with or some proximity to, if I can get close to this leader, or maybe it's not even a leader, but if I can get close to that person, oh, that would feel good. They don't use these words. It's not, it's not articulated consciously. But it's a, it's a sort of a motivation of the heart, a subconscious motivation of the heart where, um, needs for personal security, 
value and significance are what attract us to people. And what we fail to recognize is that the thing that we're actually attracted to is Jesus in them. Jesus through them. Jesus. And so we're drawn, and I think the Corinthians are drawn, and they're choosing one over the other because within each of them is this sense, some combination of a sense of insecurity, a sense of insignificance, a sense of lacking in value or worth like Mary was talking about. Every one of us has rocks in the garden that are sowed, weeds in the garden that grow. Every one of us has this question that really has been plaguing, it's been plaguing the human family, the human race, since we were removed from the covering of God's protective love and presence in Eden. Right? When that protective cover came off, When we left the garden, we were all uncovered, as it were. We were all vulnerable. And all of a sudden, questions of identity, questions of significance, of value and of worth, were real questions. We didn't inherently know, I am created in the image of God. I am deeply loved. I'm treasured, valued, significant. All of a sudden, we didn't know that. And everything about life told us the opposite. Whether it was the things people said, whether it was the way they looked at us, whether it was not belonging, getting rejected, making mistakes, sinning ourselves, and then having the devil come right in behind our sin and point the finger and accuse. Every single one of us deals with this on a fundamental level, even after we come to faith. The questions are still there. Am I lovable? Am I significant? Am I worthy? Am I valuable? It's a fight everybody fights and has been fighting since the Garden of Eden. And what Paul's saying to them is when you boast about human leaders or when you, when you, uh, you align yourselves with them, you're acting like mere humans, which is, which should make us go, um, yeah, like, aren't we humans, you know? And Paul's going, no, no, you're not mere humans anymore. You're in Christ. And you haven't fully grasped what that means. The Son of God chose you and He gave His Spirit to you and He put Himself in you and He sealed you and He said, You're mine and you belong to Me and you are now one with Me. I'm God. You are no longer merely human. You are renewed in the image of God because we're one. Yes! Yes! And so Paul goes, Hey, look! You're not just mere human beings, but you've got this incredible inheritance. All things are yours. You might not know this. You're boasting about these human leaders. What are they? Paul's yours. Apollos is yours. Cephas, Peter, he's yours. You know what? The world is yours. The whole world. What? Life, death, the present, the future, these things you worry about. It's all yours. 
What he's saying to them is, do you know the gospel story? Do you know who this Jesus, this Messiah is that you have received? Do you know He is Lord of all? And so do you know what you've received in Him? Do you know your identity? Do you know you're joined to Him? The Scripture says not only that He's seated on a throne, Lord over all, but it says you're seated there with Him. Mystery of all mysteries. Here we are seated in chairs at Gold Avenue Church and He's saying, you're there, you're here, and you're there. And they're both true. You're with Him. And so Paul's saying, stop fighting a battle that's already been won. Stop fighting for the significance that is yours. Stop fighting to prove your value when it's already been given to you and spoken over you. Stop trying to prove in any way that you're important. Stop, stop, stop. He says to the Ephesians chapter 1, three times he uses the word glorious. He says, you've got a glorious father. You've got a glorious salvation. And he says, you've got a glorious inheritance. And it's like he's saying to the Corinthians here, you all don't know your inheritance And when you talk about knowing, there's different kinds of knowing. You can know something and you can know something, right? Like, I read a manual that tells me how to fly a plane. And I memorize that manual. And I go, hey, Marissa, you want to go fly a plane with me? And she goes, have you ever flown before? And I go, well, not really, but I read the manual. (laughs) Ah, you know what, Pastor Dave? I think I'll wait a little while. Okay? Let me give you another example. Let's just say I get a phone call tonight and the person who phones me says, I'm the executor of your great uncle Bartholomew that you didn't know you had as a state and he's just left you 35,000 acres of mountain land that borders on the ocean in a really nice climate and has this kind of... Um, It's got oil on it. It's got this kind of territory that's really good for building. It's got this. It's got this. It's got this. And I go, wow, I've got an amazing inheritance. I just heard all about it for five minutes. Do I know what I've got? I do. But now I'm going to go walk the land. Now I'm going to go walk and see the mountain vistas. Now I'm going to go see what kind of view of the ocean I've got and where I can put my log cabin. Now I'm going to go see what kind of resources were left to me on that land. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, maybe you've heard 
about your inheritance. But you all need to walk the land. You all need to go deeper to understand what it is that Jesus Christ has done and what it is that he's given you. It's all yours. And what Paul's doing for them is he's not just telling them, but he's modeling for them what happens when the revelation of the love of God and the power of God and the inheritance that we have in God goes deep in your own heart. Because here's an apostolic leader who's been used all over the world, led thousands of people into the kingdom of God, raised people from the dead, preached the gospel everywhere, deeply anointed. And here he is saying to the church, would you, I'm just a servant. Would you please not look at me and argue about me? I don't need your attention. I don't need your affection. Actually, it'll harm me. It'll harm you, it'll harm me, it'll harm all of us. What we all need is to put our eyes on Jesus Christ. Right? So, when you understand the depth of the inheritance that you have in Christ, then you're set up to step into your calling like Paul is. Because his calling isn't just anointing and power and love. It's suffering. It's hardship. It's perseverance. It's sleepless nights. It's not knowing sometimes where my next meal is coming from. But I can keep going. And I can do it joyfully. Because I know who I am and what inheritance I have in Jesus Christ. So, what does the Lord want to say to each one of us this morning? I believe he's got calling. He has purpose. He has roles for each one of us. And I want to say, before I say any more about that, I want to say that boasting about human leaders is just, or clinging to them or aligning with them, is just one manifestation of not knowing your inheritance. There are many others. Rejecting human leaders is another in the church is another manifestation. But another one, another place people get sidelined is they just kind of remove themselves from the game. Do you know that having a deflated self uh, sense of self-importance is just as harmful as having an overinflated sense of self-importance? There are some people in this room that God longs to do very significant things through that will bring him glory. But in order for him to be able to do that through you, you actually need to allow him to give you... It's not a self-confidence like in yourself, a restored sense of dignity and importance in him and for him. I'm not sure if I'm explaining this clearly. This might be one where I need to just kind of keep talking in order to, to get it to come out right. But uh, uh, can you nod if, if anyone's 
if anyone's getting it, can you nod? That we can, we can obstruct God from doing things through us because we have an inferior view of self. We can take ourselves out of the game. It's not about us. It's never about us. But it can look like this. We can, we can look at a Paul or an Apollos or a Cephas, or we can look at a Pastor Gina, and we can go, wow, God's moving powerfully through them. I'm not like that. I, I couldn't do that. I can't see myself in that kind of a role. And then we deflate ourselves. Same thing's happening. It's comparison. It's looking at a human leader. But then we take ourselves out. Okay? These Corinthians are taking themselves out in a different way. What Paul's trying to do here is he's trying to get rid of everything that stands in the way or that takes us out by saying, be rooted in your inheritance. Be rooted in the gospel. Be rooted in Jesus Christ. And this, folks, this can take time. When we talk about gardens, we don't um, plant one and tomorrow night it's like, or tomorrow it's like, we've got all the tomatoes and all the melons and all the whatever, grapes and wine and, right? It takes time. So we're all at a different spot in the journey. But what the Lord is saying, what he's calling for is, uh, at, 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 you're, you're my garden. Let me tend to you. Be attentive as I tend to you. And the work that I'm wanting to do is to nurture within you an ever deepening awareness of who you are in me. And that's a you singular and plural. You together, right, are the temple. So that Nothing gets in the way, whether it's looking at human leaders one way, shape, form, or another. Nothing gets in the way of fruitful working with me. Okay? I'm going to pause here and just create some space for us to be silent before the Lord. And... um, Wait and see if he's got any more for us. But I'm going to lead us into prayer. And I just, there, there may be a little bit more. But I'm, I just sense to pause right here. Lord, well, well, soil gardens are passive participants in the work that the gardeners do to till them, we are not. And so, as best as we are able, we open our hearts more fully to the tilling and the pruning and the planting that you want to do in each and every one of us to grow us to maturity in your love, And also, readiness for the roles and the callings that you have set apart for us or set us apart for. 
Lord, if there's specific ways that you want to speak right now to us, we're just going to quiet ourselves before you.